I believe there are two ways to look at your career. One is like it's a minefield, filled with devices put there by others, expectations, constraints, bias, pressure, glass ceilings, glass cliffs. Or the other is that it's a playing field and you can master the game with tools, mindset, support, communities, and a powerful stance that helps you own your story, take your place, and step into your power. While the former certainly is rooted in a lot of systemic realities, this podcast, it's about the latter. This podcast is about us, as women, doing our thing to make our career our very own playing field. Welcome to Speaking with Women. I'm your host, BBG Hailey. I'm a serial entrepreneur and the mom of one, a third culture kid, a career and personal branding advisor, and I am pretty obsessed with helping women step into their professional power. So I invite you to join me and let's step into our power together. I think there's something really strange happening with this podcast. My solo episodes have <laughs> they've become downloads. I really don't know what's going on. So I woke up this Sunday morning and there's a tradition in our house. My son gets to watch his weekly shows on Sunday morning. And so I have a full two hours of peace in front of me. So this Sunday, it was a warm day in Montreal, which is like, never happens. So I made myself coffee. I went on the balcony slash garden and I went and sat in the sun to drink it with Emily hanging out. And then this episode just came tumbling out and it dragged me through the kitchen table to script it. And here we are with an episode about women's stories and why they matter. And it's an episode that's dedicated to a beautiful friend of mine that the universe has put in my path and who thinks that her story does not matter. And she's not alone to think that. The number of times when I have calls, either discovery calls or visibility sessions with women who start out thinking that their story doesn't matter or that it's banal or sometimes that it's unique that they're alone to be living something and something that is unimportant. This episode is dedicated to all the women who've told me their stories and who've given me goosebumps with these stories and who made me feel excited about the potential for change of their stories. And then when they found themselves alone with these stories, they decided that they weren't worth telling. So the first thing that I want you to do is to stop this podcast episode and I want you to go and order the book, Cassandra Speaks, when Women Are the Storytellers, The Human Story Changes by Elizabeth Lesser. And it's truly the book that I wish I had written. You know, I, I've told you stories of my precocious philosophy discussing self when I was a teenager. But I, what I haven't told you is that I was also fascinated by religion. And there are lots of stories there too, right? And one thing that I remember clearly is how the story of Adam and Eve landed with me. How in our social lore, she was vilified for a decision that she took and an offer she made to explore more, to ask questions, to do her due diligence, to have a critical mind, not to take things for granted. She was vilified for something that today has become the core tenet of rational thought. This thing that we consider to set us apart as a species our capacity to think rationally. Well, the first demonstration of it in stories was by a woman and she was severely punished. Now, hear me, we're not having a conversation about religion. We're having a conversation about a foundational story. 
And the story never made sense to me. And when I read Cassandra Speaks, it all came rushing back. This instinctive understanding of how the stories we tell create culture and have an impact on who matters and who does not. I'm going to read you an excerpt from the first page of the book, but before I do, I'm going to tell you what we're going to be talking about today so that I don't lose the bottom line up front. People in the audience, the first thing is we're going to talk about why stories matter. Then I want to point out some of the things that might be getting in your way of stepping into telling your story. And finally, I want to share some ways you can reframe your thoughts around this and then start exploring how you can share your story and what different platforms are available to you for this. So let's get started. But before we do, a quick note to share some really exciting news for me. I redid my branding. (laughs) I redid my branding. My lovely friend and marketing genius, Bianca King, worked with me to align the message I wanted to put in the world with the visuals. So you may have noticed the message that I'm putting out in the world is very clear to me but my visuals didn't sort of align. And I wasn't putting a lot of effort in those visuals. For someone who's obsessed about visibility, I wasn't putting an effort in there. And so I worked with Bianca and now I have this updated, beautiful website. The visuals for the podcast are updated. My LinkedIn profile is powerful. I'm just feeling super proud of the visuals and feeling like they're really aligned and I feel more visible than ever. So go check out thebovalgroup.com. I think there's a link in the show notes. And then, you know, tell me, you can send me a note and tell me what you think about the new branding. I didn't do a whole hoopla about launching new branding. I did it a little bit undercover, but I'm telling you here on the podcast because I'm super excited and proud of this branding. So let's jump into the episode. Elizabeth Lesser starts her book with an encounter she has with a wise old professor. And as Elizabeth is complaining about not being heard, the old woman asks her if she remembers Cassandra, to which she answers, barely. And so the professor leans in and tells her this story. Well then, I'll remind you. Cassandra was a princess from the city of Troy. She was the most beautiful of King Priam and Queen Hecuba's daughters. Don't come at me for my accent. I don't know how to say these words. (laughs) So as such, she had many suitors, both mortal and immortal. The professor looked around the empty room and then lowered her voice as if including me in some ancient gossip. Zeus, king of gods, was after Cassandra, and so was his son Apollo. To woo her, Apollo gave her something only a god could give, the coveted gift of seeing into the future. But when he tried to seduce her, Cassandra refused his sexual advances. This enraged Apollo. Instead of just taking the gift of prophecy away, he grabbed her, spat in her mouth, and put a curse on her. You will remain clairvoyant, Cassandra, he said. But now, no one will listen to you. No one will believe your predictions. So no matter what she foresaw, from the sacking of Troy to the death of her brother, to the multiple tragedy that would befall her people, no one believed Cassandra. She was eventually driven mad by knowing the truth and being doubted when she spoke it. Her final indignity came at the end of the Trojan War. As her city lay in ruins, just as she had prophesied, she was abducted and raped by a Greek warrior. As the professor spun me the tale of Cassandra, 
I began to feel less and less as if she was speaking about characters from a Greek myth, and more and more as if she was speaking about women in general, in ancient times and in our times. Finally, she said, listen here, young lady. Women have been ignored, ridiculed, punished, even killed for their opinions forever. But without the balancing power of her voice, the female voice, things in this world and in disaster. Cassandra's tale is your tale. It is all of our tales. We must speak and we must be taken seriously. We must change the way the story ends. End of the quote. And I want to add that when you discount your story as unimportant, when you don't tell your story because it does not matter in the greater scheme of things, you're participating into a millennia-old dance of discounting women's voices and stories. My guest Nadia said on one of the episodes that we don't always have to be on and fighting. She's right. We don't have to be an activist all the time, but there is a difference between choosing to remove yourself from time to time to preserve your peace and not to tell your story because you have convinced yourself it does not matter. Visibility is activism. Using your voice is activism. Okay, so on that note, let's look at why. Let's talk about why stories matter. In 2017, Donald Miller wrote a book that really took the marketing world by storm. It's called Building a Story Brand, Clarify Your Messages So Your Customer Would Listen. And in it, he offered a very simple idea. And, you know, most powerful ideas are pretty simple. And his idea was that every story had a similar arc and that human beings connected to that structure and that by using that structure and putting customers at the center, brands could multiply their connection to their customer and thus increase their sales, right? Simple. Now, I won't be revealing any big secrets by telling you the structure that he proposed. You can actually easily Google it. And here's how it goes. One, there's a character. Two, who has a problem. Three, who meets a guide. Four, who gives them a plan. Five, calls them to action. Six, helps them avoid failure. And seven, it ends in success. And this idea went on to become this huge commercial success. And you now have certified story brand designers for websites and for sales pages and coaches who can help you design your marketing with this structure in place, right? And what Donald Miller recognized and put at the center of his story formula is that the human brain looks for shortcuts to make sense of the information and that stories are actually a powerful shortcut. They're a tool that provides us with a lot of intense emotions, some good, some not, you know, fear, happiness, anger, indignation, whatever. They also take us on a ride with very little effort on our part, right? So our brains, who are the ultimate lazy machine, thrive on stories. And you can actually see this in pretty much any business book. If you walk over to your library or you open your Kindle and you open any business book today, nine times out of 10, it'll start with a story. And this sucks you in. It makes you connect. It gives you some dopamine right out of the gate. And this increases your chance that you're going to continue reading the book. I start all my keynotes with a story and a story usually of me or a client or how we experience that thing that I'm about to tell them. And then I use that story as a jumping point for the subject of my talk. And then I try to wrap up the talk by giving the ending of the story that I started with. And again, it gives my audience an easy, well-packaged sense-making mechanism that doesn't require too much effort from their brain. So the first reason that stories matter 
is that there is sense-making mechanism for us as human beings. Now, here's the thing about stories, though. Aggregated, they create culture. And so who tells those stories matter, because if your voice is absent from the aggregate narrative, then you are not recognized, you are not seen, you are not deemed to matter. And the worst part is that this happens in subtle ways, in the way that we use language. So the word CEO, for instance, it will conjure up a man. So much so that we have to say a woman CEO to make sure we're changing your mental image. And that's because the stories we have access to about CEOing are stories about men. In fact, they're stories about a certain type of man. And again, you see, we're back to the shortcut, right? Our brain has access to these stories and to these shortcuts. And so it figures, okay, this is how it works. So when we feed it the word CEO, it gives us back a 40-something man with good hair who goes to the gym at four in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I actually have someone in mind that I'm thinking about <laughs> when I give this description. So this is something that activists in diversity spaces have started to recognize and to call out, you know. So for instance, panels with only a certain type of speakers, movies with only one gender at the center. We're starting to understand the impact of the homogeneity of voices and stories. We also see the importance of this in children's stories, right? Stories are used to give life lessons. They're used to tell dirty jokes. They're used to celebrate the life of people who've had an impact. They're used to share things about life. They're used to make us connect to a reality we would not have access to otherwise. They're a path to empathy, and therefore they're a path to change. What this means is that the second reason your story matters is that if it is not part of this public discourse, our reality will remain the same. We will not have access to change if we do not have access to different stories. Now I have a story of my own to tell you. In fact, I have a few stories to tell you to illustrate the third reason why your stories matter. One of the first times I gave a talk on personal branding, it was to a group of young women at a university. And the talk was called Me, Inc. And when the women trickled in, at the front of the room, there was one particular woman who had a very distinct look. She had half her head shaved off. She was wearing the Palestinian kefi. She had tattoos. And when she sat at the front, she crossed her arms and she stared at me defiantly. Truth be told, she actually reminded me of me. And I knew we were going to have an interesting interaction. And she did not disappoint. Halfway through my talk, she raised her hand and she said, I am really uncomfortable with all of this. I feel like this is just a capitalist and privileged way of looking at the world. Not everyone has access to building a personal brand. If I think of the cashier at the local grocery store, I'm pretty sure she has more important things to do, like feeding her children a grocery salary than building a brand. She said something to that effect. So I asked her, what's the name of that cashier? Have you spoken to her? Of course she had not. And this was a rhetorical question on my part, but it allowed me to make a point. The point that she had chosen to tell this metaphorical woman's story in order to advance her own point, her idea. For all intents and purposes, she had given this woman a brand. The cashier at the local grocery store was a poor, disenfranchised woman with children to feed who could not do this fluffy personal branding thing because she was busy surviving. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. The reality she describes exists. There is not a doubt in the world that this is the reality of a cashier at the local grocery store 
that is a story you are telling about that cashier. In the same way, the story you tell about a CEO as that of a powerful man in his 40s with good wavy hair, it is the exact same process. Let me give you another example of what happens when other people tell you a story. You might remember, because I keep talking about it, <laughs> that I did my undergraduate degree in women's studies at Concordia University in Montreal. And one day we were reading an article by Audre Lorde, and Audre Lorde is an African-American feminist scholar. And I can't remember what the conversation was about, but all of a sudden a fellow classmate turned to me and said, as a woman of color, what do you think about whatever we were talking about relating to Audre Lorde's article? And here's the thing. I thought absolutely nothing as a woman of color. I had thoughts as BBG, a third culture kid from two different African countries that have nothing in common. I have an opinion, but I don't identify with the term women of color. I understand it. I understand how it came to be. I understand the historical and social reality it is describing. And it is very much anchored in the North American reality and interactions of race. But I don't relate to the term because of where I came from. And yet here was the student asking me to take a stand from the position of the story she was telling about me. Now, I have a lot of other stories where that came from. The other, the stories others tell of us is something that I am acutely in tune with. And that is the third reason why your story matters. If you don't tell it, someone will tell a story about you that is not yours. Nature hates a vacuum. It'll fill your story vacuum with things that have nothing to do with you. In the spaces where we choose not to tell our stories, others will tell a story. And that might create a reality that you are not on board with, but that you are now stuck with. Okay, I hope I've given you enough food for thought around why your story and our stories as women matter. And now I want to talk about some of the things that might be getting in your way of feeling comfortable telling these stories. I'm sure there's lots more, but today I want to address three of these. And the first one is that the first story is when you tell yourself you value humility. I don't believe in humility in the way we usually think about it. And that is that talking about ourselves, about what we're good at, about what we think is arrogant, is showing off, is taking the stage or rather hogging the stage. That story, and here it is again about humility, that story that we tell ourselves, it spills over onto other aspects of our lives, our visibility, speaking up when we know something, and of course, telling our own story. Last week, I gave a talk on imposter syndrome at a university, and these were mainly female students, but there were more men than usual in this talk. And during the Q&A, one of the women told me about a classroom situation, and she asked me what I thought she should do. She shared that her male professor had talked about stats regarding women not being visible in the classroom and not speaking up, and that he had an expectation that they would. Then she said that the problem was she saw the guys speak up and that she felt their comments didn't actually warrant their speaking up, that they were just doing it to talk and not because they had something to say. And so partly because this was irritating her and it was not the way she wanted to engage, she chose not to speak up. And so what I told her is that there was a continuum. There was a continuum for talking just to talk to saying the perfect thing that had to be analyzed to death backed by peer-reviewed studies, and no chance of being called out as wrong, right? Those were the two ends of a spectrum. Now, I'm being facetious, but you see the point. 
Along the lines of that continuum, there was a place for her to intervene and to be part of the conversation without being 100% sure that what she was saying was right and without feeling like it was a lack of humility to chime in if what you had to say wasn't, you know, perfect or 100% mattered, okay? Another story, so the second one, another story you tell yourself is that it's not about you, that it's about the bigger picture. And the it that I'm talking about here can be anything, including your why, your business idea, the change you want to make in the world. And this is, of course, that first story of humility showing up with a different disguise, where the first story couches your discomfort with telling your story in a larger moral narrative, the big picture version of it couches it in altruism. I don't need to talk about myself because I am focused on the bigger picture of helping others and putting the spotlight on others. Again, there is nothing wrong with putting the spotlight on others. It's just not an either or situation. Now, before I continue, I want to underscore again that there is no meanness, judgment, or lack of kindness in my intention and in what I'm discussing here. My objective is to highlight another side of the story equation that might be the darker side. The stories we tell ourselves that are keeping us stuck and invisible. Okay, so let's move on to the third story. You tell yourself that you don't know how to tell a story. So I might have told you about Brooke Castillo. She's a really well-known life coach who's built a multi-million dollar coaching business, which is really hard. And one of the things that she says is that confusion is an indulgent emotion. She says that we always know the answer to something we're asking ourselves, but confusion allows us to stay immobile, allows us to stay still. Saying, I don't know, allows us to spend time getting to know the thing rather than doing the thing. And I have to say, this is proven true for me over and over again. So for instance, right now, my challenge is sales. I keep telling myself I don't know how to sell, which is not true because my closure rate for inbound discovery calls is incredibly high. But this is for inbound inquiries, right? Women reach out to me. They've told me by reaching out to me that they're interested in working with me. And then our call becomes a risk-free presentation of what I do and a validation of fit, which is very different from me reaching out. And here's the thing. I tell myself I don't know how to sell because I don't want to do the hard thing that is outbound prospecting. So I procrastinate on it, thinking I need a coach, I need a course, I need a plan, but I don't. I don't need any of that. I just need to get uncomfortable and do the damn thing. In one of my calls with a client, she told me she didn't know how to tell a story. She told me this by telling me a story. Literally, she told me about a colleague And she described how good he was at connections and telling stories. And she described him vividly in a room with people and how he was usually the life of a party. And then she ended it by contrasting it to her and demonstrating how she was not those things. But that, what she did, was tell me a story. So you always know. What happens then, and what we need to talk about, is how can you change your relationship to stories? That's the last part. And I'm going to do something that I would normally disapprove of. But you know what? A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do to get results, right? There is a stat floating around that women have an easier time doing things when they feel it will have an impact on others than when it affects only them. One of the things I've come to acknowledge as universally true is that any emotion, fear, challenge I live 
there is someone else that is feeling the same thing. I am never alone with something, even when I think I am. So by telling your story, you make it possible for other women to feel seen, to feel less alone, and to feel like they matter. When you give importance to your story and tell it, you give importance to their story. And the opposite is true. When you tell yourself your story does not matter, does not have enough gravitas to be told, you are saying the same for the thousands of women who have a story similar as yours. Before I get off this particular soapbox, I want to make a parallel that I'm going to ask you to forgive me for. What was Me Too about if it wasn't about shared stories? The reality is that as women, we were not alone with the feelings of shame and guilt, that the unspeakable acts were happening to women all over. That is what Me Too did. Stories of individual women changed the access to their bodies and psyches that abusers had until then. I asked you to forgive me because I did not want to diminish the impact of Me Too, but I take back that request. Here's the thing. All of these stories, they exist along a continuum. The continuum that we discussed at the start of the episode, and that is the one that creates culture. Okay. Here's the next reframe I want to offer you. When you choose to tell your story, you give yourself the opportunity to be witnessed, to be seen. Why do you think all the group-related therapeutic activities like AA or other recovery programs start with stories? Because once you've shared your story and owned who you are, you're witnessed by the community. You're welcomed in, good, bad, and ugly. You no longer have to hide. You no longer have to feel shame. You're part of the crew, and they accept you as you are. Those stories we did not want to put out there are the secret to feeling seen, heard, witnessed, and welcomed. And last but not least, this reframe is for those of you who don't want to share your stories because you don't want your business all over the internet. I hear you. Here's the reframe. It doesn't have to be all over the internet. There are so many other ways to share your story. In fact, here's the thing. You get to choose the degree to which you share and the format you want to share your story in. From all of it, to just a highlight reel, to metaphors, you get to choose how and when you tell it. You know, if you follow me, you know that I often talk about my son. And yet you can search all over LinkedIn and you will not find his name, nor will you find a picture of him. I have chosen the boundaries I want to put around sharing my private life. And you get to do that too. I hope this episode has given you food for thought. Our stories matter. As a collective, they make us all visible together. Here's what the professor said to Elizabeth Lesser to finish the story of Cassandra and what I want you to take as we end. When Cassandra speaks, we must listen. There is work to do. Listen to her and get to work. <laughs>